1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 26 goes like this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ... We have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Many of you will know the name Casey Horvath. Uh, Casey has preached here at Jerusalem Church six times, and he and his wife, Katie, and boys, Asher and Callan, live in Lebanon. And I just got an email from Casey on Friday, and he passed his licensing exam and is now an official minister in the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference, or what's called the Four C's denomination. And that's very exciting for Casey. Casey and Katie are planting Liberty Church, Lebanon, and are well on their way. Exciting things are, are happening through their ministry there. They, they are having an Advent service this evening at 5 p.m. at Messiah Lutheran Church in Lebanon, in case any of you want to head over there and support them. But in his email, Casey shared something else that is really exciting. Katie is pregnant. Awesome news. And they're going to have uh, another child. And when we hear... Something like that, when we hear that, that another life has been formed in the womb and that we'll meet this little person soon, well, it's amazing and it's exciting and we get all, all excited about that. Each birth of our four children was amazing. It was exciting. Christina was so strong. I, I learned how tough my wife really is through those experiences. Unbelievable time. And she did a great job, and welcoming our little babies in the world, it was life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. Now, how about I just leave out the details on how babies come to be, uh, but let me say this, that children do not appear out of thin air. They have an origin, a beginning, their parents. 
If we look around us today at the people that are here with us this morning, whatever age, we all had an origin, a beginning, a birth. Our mothers gave birth to us. Birth is a word associated with origins, beginnings, life. And when we hear the word birth, we don't often think of death. Uh, So it may sound strange for me to title this message, The Birth and Death of Death. But I'm talking about the origin or the beginning of death. And, and, And it can be scary to think about the birth of death, but that's what I want us to think about today. At least that's part of what I want us to think about. Have you ever thought about the birth of death? or when the trend of dying began. Not such a great trend. And what if death was to die? How marvelous would that be? So I'd like to talk about the birth of death, which can be sorrowful and which can be uncomfortable, but I'd like to also talk about the death of death. And that's where we'll end. And that's where the hope and that's where the comfort and that's where the joy come. We have to understand how death began in order to know how death is brought to death. God explains the birth of death in the book of Genesis. After creating the universe, including precious human life, God placed the first human beings, Adam and Eve, into a beautiful garden to work it and to keep it. And as expected, God established law. Law which protected and preserved his creation. God began with a blessing. He told Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. It was a lavish garden, a beautiful garden. A gift from the Almighty God to meet their needs and to provide much pleasure and much purpose for Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were blessed with incalculable blessings. And then God added a prohibition but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. That's law. For human life to flourish, human beings need law, and God gave them law because he is good and because his law is good. Why was law in the garden good? God explained, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was really clear, crystal clear. God's law did at least three things. It promoted life, it promised life, and protected from death. The law essentially meant obey God without fail and live forever. Disobey God at all and die forever. The law was good. It it, it did good things for Adam and Eve. Theologians call this law by different names. The covenant of works or the covenant of life or the covenant of nature or the covenant of creation or even the Adamic covenant. Zacharias or Sinus said this about this law. The law contains the covenant of nature established by God with man in creation That means it is known by man from nature. It requires perfect obedience of us to God, and it promises eternal life to those who keep it, but threatens eternal punishment to those who do not. 
The law that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden was simple to understand. Obey God perfectly at all times and live. Disobey God at all, at any point, and die. So obeying God promised wonderful things, a wonderful everlasting life in communion with God, and disobeying God promised horrible things, a sin-infested world and a life of turmoil and suffering and ultimately eternal punishment and death. Was the law bad? Was it undesirable? No, no, it wasn't, not at all. Why? Because the law made life and death clear. It communicated clear expectations. It left no room for doubt. It promoted life. It promised life to law keepers and protected from death. Set the boundaries, set the lines. Uh, think, think about it like this. Parents don't often keep the Drano in the fridge right next to the milk. Do you? If you do, parents, you're scary. Just change that habit. But they keep the Drano in the bathroom closet or some safe place, and they likely tell their kids not to mess with the Drano, at least little kids. You know, college kids don't have to be told that, but little kids do. Uh, it's poisonous. So if as a parent and you tell your children you may not drink Drano because it could kill you, that's called reasonable and loving parenting uh, because the prohibition is not to persecute your child. No, you may not enjoy Drano to drink. That's not to persecute your child. That's to protect your child. You're not withholding something good from your child by telling them not to drink the Drano. You're defending them against something bad. Yet your child may not understand and still want to drink the Drano. May even cry. May even say, I don't like you if you withhold the Drano from them. As history goes, Satan deceived Eve and made the poison seem appealing. And then something awful happened, Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Death was born. Death was born out of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and his good law. Death was born out of sin. Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God, the omniscient, but they didn't. They acted foolishly. Their presumption led to the birth of death for themselves, for the world. The Apostle Paul described it like this in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's uncomfortable truth. But truth we need to hear and truth we need to understand. Sin came into the world through Adam's moral failure. And death was given birth, given a beginning through Adam's sin, and death spread to all because all of us sinned in Adam. It's our sin in him 
our federal head, our representative. We too are guilty of sin. We too are guilty of breaking God's law. In fact, all of God's law. And therefore, we are all subject to death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die. My friends, we need to be clear on this. If we are still in Adam, if we are still enslaved to our flesh, we will die, and that's not simply physical death, that is eternal spiritual death in hell. Lawbreakers receive judgment because they break God's good law and they are guilty. Death is horrible. Death is frightful. Death is dreadful. The birth of death was not a good day. They didn't celebrate with balloons and cigars. And every day since then, humanity has has lived walking in the valley of the shadow of death. As horrible as death is, brothers and sisters, it tells us something important, something we must all face. Death tells us that something is wrong with the world and something is wrong with us. And the imminence or nearness of death may just be what we need. What we need to get us thinking about the sacredness and seriousness of our lives, the brevity of our lives, the realities of God, the realities of heaven, the realities of hell. And if there is hope and comfort at all, we must face death. So in that respect, understanding the birth of death Well, that's a cold dose of reality awakening us to our need of rescue, our need of healing, our need of life and salvation, our need of deliverance from death. And understanding the birth of death and our predicament under the law positions us to find hope and comfort in the death of death. On Saturday night, I was awoken from sleep by my cell phone ringing. It was 11.54 p.m. Christina headed to the bathroom as the the call woke us, and I saw on my phone that the call was from Mark Miller, my father-in-law. And I headed into my office, which happens to be our walk-in closet. (laughs) That's hilarious. I study in a walk-in closet. How many other pastors do you know? A few probably, but at least I have an office. And I, uh, I went to listen to the message. And I listened to it, and Mart wanted me to call him. And I tried, but there was no answer. And Christine and I got back into bed, and I, I told her that her dad had called. And that I couldn't reach him. And the possibility was beginning to sink in for Christina. I got her phone for her downstairs, and Mart left the same message on her phone, and we had a guess. Uh, we had a guess, and it was, it was painful, and Christina called, and no answer, and then Christina got in touch with her sister, and our intuition was confirmed. Confirmed Christina's mom. 
had entered paradise. And some of you have gotten that call. You've heard that grievous news. Your heart was broken. When someone that we love dies, it's painful. Not only because we grieve our loved one's death, but because we are reminded of the harsh reality of sin. Remember the birth of death. And whether we are consciously thinking about it in that moment or not, we are reminded of the birth of death through our sin and guilt and that we are accountable to a holy God. Death is not simply the, the, the grief of the loss of a loved one, but, but a taste of the consequences of sin. Death reminds us of the uncomfortable consequences of sin and guilt that Jesus was right to say, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That's uncomfortable to hear. Yet it is only a dim picture of the much greater death, spiritual death in sin, which leads to eternal damnation. There is something much worse than physically dying, and that is spiritually dying and suffering the eternal judgment of God. When that call comes to you in the night, when when you are the cause of that call in the night, where is hope? Where is your hope when you receive that call? Where is the hope of those who receive that call about you? Where is hope in light of the reality of eternal death? Do you have an anchor? Do you have a shelter? Do you have a savior? It is estimated that smallpox killed between 300 and 500 million people in the 20th century alone. Imagine the painful stories. Imagine the fear. Imagine the anxiety. And then one day, a vaccine was discovered. A vaccine was discovered, and the last known case of smallpox was in 1977. Smallpox, which killed so many, was finally killed. Now... I think it would be accurate to to say that we would really want to know if smallpox broke out in Lancaster County. But even more, at the news of that outbreak, we would need to remember that there is a vaccine. There is science behind the eradication of smallpox. As disturbing and upsetting and disconcerting as death is, there is good news My dear friends, death has been put to death by Jesus Christ. And yes, death is still kicking. But as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, the day will come when Jesus will finally eradicate death completely. Death will be dead. Brothers and sisters, the news of Christina's mom's death came sooner than expected. And on days like this when the tears are fresh and the tears are still falling, we need to hear good news. We need to hear the gospel and God has given us good news. The gospel of the life, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the vanquisher of death. The good news, it goes something like this. God, the creator of heaven and earth, 
saw humanity in their sinful and guilty condition heading toward eternal death and hell, and he had compassion, pity, mercy, and in love sent his only begotten son to come to earth to put death to death as was determined in the covenant of redemption before all time, a virgin girl named Mary conceived a precious child, a precious little boy by the Holy Spirit, and the death slayer was born. Jesus grew. He opened all, excuse me, he obeyed all of God's law with devotion, with joy, with peace. And love in his heart and he fulfilled all righteousness. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified at the hands of lawless men. Thus bearing the just wrath and condemnation and curse of God for sinners. His dead body was buried in the tomb for three days. He was without sin yet he died the death of sinners. Why? To put death to death for his own. Jesus died in shame on a brutal Roman cross, but on the third day he rose because death could not hold him. Why did he rise again, dear friends, to put death to death for his own? Why? To put death to death for his own. He ascended into heaven. He sits now at the right hand of God in power, in glory, in authority, and he is interceding for his own And one day he will come and he will judge the living and the dead by the standard of God's holy law and the standard of his perfect righteousness. Only those who have received him by faith and are counted righteous in God's sight because of Christ's merits imputed to them through faith will live forever in the glory of the presence of the King. Every unbeliever will die in their sins and suffer the eternal death forever in the presence of God's righteous wrath and judgment. This is the gospel. The the good news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, put death to death by His sacrificial death and resurrection, which is His and His people's victory over death. But here's the thing. Though everyone dies... Not everyone lives after they die. Those who reject Jesus while they live die and then die in eternal death of the eternal fury and judgment of God. It is only those who receive Jesus Christ through faith who live after they die because for them, Jesus put death to death once and for all. Jesus was clear about this. He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. Now the condition there is faith. Trust in Christ. Belief. Without that condition, the horrors of hell. See, everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Christ alone for salvation, though they still get sick, Maybe cancer, maybe heart disease, maybe something else. 
Though they still suffer, though they still die, they do not die the second death, but instead live forever in the presence of God. The death of death means eternal life for those who trust in Christ alone for life and salvation. When Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals hanging beside him, and one of them said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just, just pause to think about that for a second. That criminal had so much guilt. Guilt from the lifestyle that he had lived to get him on a Roman cross. And he was dying in his guilt But he was also believing, so then Jesus comforted him with these precious words, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. As as Jesus was dying, he promised life in paradise to the repentant and believing criminal who was dying and could do nothing, nothing to alleviate his own guilt and nothing could he do to make right all the wrongs that he had done, but but he was beside the great guilt bearer who was at the time alleviating his guilt. How could that criminal have hope of paradise? What about all the victims and the things he stole because the guilt bearer was beside him dying in agony to put death to death in order to give him and in order to give us and all true believers life in himself? I have absolutely no idea how to get to Longyearbyen, Norway. That's a place. I have no idea how to get there. Does anybody know how to get to a place called Longyearbyen, Norway? And and I'd need someone to get me there, and then when I'm there, I'd need someone to interpret for me because I have no idea how to speak Norwegian. Who knows? I don't know what I'm saying. Who knows how to speak Norwegian? Many people assume they know the way to heaven and that they can just figure it out on their own. And yet they don't actually know the one who can get them there and they have no idea what the language of heaven is, the language of grace, the language of the gospel. They don't speak gospel. They're not listening. They don't have the spirit. They don't believe. How are they going to know how to get there? Just make it up on their own, my friends. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, by his own admission, our Lord and Savior, is the only way to God, to heaven, to the eternal presence of God. And without knowing Jesus, there is no other way in. You will be barred without him. There's no other way. How can we be sure, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is actually the way? How how do we know that we can actually trust Jesus to come through on the promises that he has given? How do we know? At the end's not the time to find out whether he was telling the truth or not because Jesus is the one who put death to death for his precious people who trust him by virtue of him being alive after death. Let that soak in a little bit. Alive 
after death. That doesn't happen. By virtue of him being alive after death, death is defeated for those who have been raised with him to new life. To really trust Jesus, one must accept as true all that God has revealed about himself in the person and work of Jesus and in Holy Scripture. One must confess their sin and guilt and repent of their sin and guilt and receive the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ through faith. True faith is trusting not in good works done for God, but trusting in God's good work done, his good work of redemption done for you. In the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son, true faith receives Christ who washes sin and guilt away and receives Christ's righteousness as the merit needed to enter the eternal presence of God. Now, true faith doesn't seek to excuse sin, doesn't seek to justify sin, doesn't seek to excuse guilt, doesn't seek to to self-justify, doesn't seek to give any credit to self, but owns up to all sin, all levels of wickedness and guilt, while at the same time trusting and clinging to Jesus Christ and the reality that he put death to death for them so that they could live in righteousness and live forever in the presence of God. So make the connection with the death of death In his death and resurrection, Jesus conquered death, vanquished death, overpowered death. He put death to death so that his people might live forever in his presence without fear, without threat of sin and death anymore. Imagine if that was removed. This is how we might celebrate the death of death. Isaiah 25 Verse 8 says that God will swallow up death forever. That's the death of death. The, The Apostle Paul said that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the death of death. Revelation 21.4 gives us a a glorious picture of heaven. The Apostle John said about Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's the death of death. Jesus put death to death so that those who trust in him alone for salvation might experience an eternal existence free from the threat and fear of sin and death, an existence of righteousness and life and flourishing lived in perfect communion with God. There is death after death. And that is for those who refuse Jesus before their first death. But for those who humble themselves before their, their first death, and, and I should just say death before their death, uh, and find life in Christ in this life, they never experience that second death. But instead, they enjoy life in Christ forever 
after death. You don't want two deaths. One is enough. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, that was the birth of death, but Paul quickly adds, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the death of death. All people who look to Christ, who accept Christ, who trust in Christ, who believe in Christ, who confide in Christ, who treasure Christ, they are alive in Christ and will live after death because for them Christ has put death to death. Do you understand the birth of death? Do you understand the death of death? Do you know God's holiness and the crushing weight of his law? Are you looking to Christ in faith as your only hope and comfort in life and in death? Look to Christ, dear friend. Look to Christ. And find in Him the rest for your soul, the comfort for your soul. Socrates, the famous Greek philosopher, once said, death may be the greatest of all human blessings. I actually think Socrates was right because he said may be. As in might be or might not be the greatest of human blessings. Here's the difference. Those who die with their eyes firmly fixed upon Christ, those who die clinging firmly to the righteousness of Christ by faith, die only to transition from this life into the presence of Christ, their beloved. Fern Miller is in paradise in the presence of Jesus, not because she was a great Christian, not because she was a great wife or a mother or a friend, but because Jesus is her righteousness. But those who die with their eyes firmly fixed everywhere but Christ, those who assume they are good enough as they are, die only to transition from their best life to a death far worse than their physical death endured for a time. An eternal death. My friends, my plea to you is this. Allow the birth of death to drive you to the one who put death to death. Allow the birth of death to drive you to Christ who put death to death. Allow your sin, allow your guilt, allow your misery to drive you to Jesus Christ who is your only comfort in life and in death. The the grave may have received our grandparents, may have received our parents and spouses and children and friends. Oh, the grave may have won for a time there, but remember, dear brothers and sisters, the hope of Christ, as one songwriter puts it, on Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but awoke with the keys of hell on that day, firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. Brothers and sisters, we have tasted the bitter fruit of the birth of death. But in the person and work of Christ, whom we have received by faith alone, brothers and sisters, we have tasted the goodness of God. O Jesus, conquering the grave, 
Your precious blood has power to save. Those who trust in you will in your mercy find. That it is not death to die. That is true for us, dear saints, because though our sin and guilt gave birth to death, Jesus Christ put death to death to give us life.